Well, guys, it is finally here. The day, the time. It's been like 365 days, but guys, are you ready for Valentine's Day? Yeah? Ready? A couple more days. All right. Man, Valentine's Day, I don't know. It's such a, I don't want to be a bah humbug about it, but I don't know. It was fun when you were young and you were a kid or you're newly dating, but then after a while, it's just like, oh, geez, another day. Um, but anyways, it's funny when I, I was thinking about Valentine's Day because uh, I got put in my place by my daughters a couple years ago. See, I, I think I've told you this, like me and my wife, we had an understanding about Valentine's Day. We, an understanding where it was just like, we're not, it's over, we're done with that. But then my daughters were like, why aren't you giving mommy flowers or why didn't you get mommy anything? So I got called out by them. Yeah. So now I got to show my daughters what to expect from some poor guy in the future. <laughs> You know, having two daughters, you, 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 you have those, I'm sure you guys have all heard it, and I know I've talked about it, but the idea when you meet someone new, right, and you're dating some, somebody, and I think there's more pressure on the guy part. I don't know about the girl part, because I'm not a girl, but I know for the guy part, one of the most stressful things you can do is meet the parents, right? Meeting the parents for the first time. And I've had to do that a couple times and all through my life. You know, either if it's I'm dating somebody or I'm going to take somebody for the dance. And then there's that joke of, oh, I'm going to put the shotgun by the door to scare the boy. Right. To scare them. To, right. you know, put the fear in them. And I don't know. I never liked that. I didn't like that when I was a kid. Here's the thing, I, I grew up, my, my dad had been teaching me about guns since the age of five. So it's like you're showing me, you're putting, the, and I'm telling you this because I've had two dads and an uncle threaten bodily harm on me in the first time I met them, right? And by the last one, the guy was so small when he came around the corner, and telling me about all his guns and stuff, I just kind of laughed. I said, one, because it's not scary. I'm used to this stuff. And two, well, my dad raised me to be a gentleman. Amen. What makes you think that I'm not going to treat your daughter with respect? Yeah. And so I always had an aversion to that. I always had a chip on my shoulder where if someone came to me first to threaten me, like, oh, my God, get out of here. Like, that's it. I'm not going to deal with that. Right? Because it's just, I don't know, it, it, it bothers me. And so I have that, now that I have two daughters, maybe I do see things a bit differently. <laughs> but I don't, because I, I can't be that guy that, you know, and if you guys are dads out there and you want to, and you have that vision of your mind that someday you're going to do that, I, I encourage you, don't do it. Because, yeah, at some point, your daughter's going to bring home the guy that you're going to call your son, right? Eventually, that's going to happen. You don't want that, that to start off. So 
Anyways, yeah, I've had two dads and one uncle threaten me with weapons on my first conversation with them. And it just never, never goes because you're supposed to start with relationship, right? So here's the deal. Last week we talked about, or I talked about, that God desires relationship. We read uh, Mark 12, 29, that says this. The most important one, Jesus answers this, this, O hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. We talked about how God desires that love, and that love can only happen as if we have relationship. If God only demanded love, he would have just forced us to do it. But he didn't force us. And so because he didn't force us, it causes us to have the need for relationship. Because that, that love is only going to happen through relationship. So that's what we talked about last week. And we talked about just the idea that, that because of that relationship, that yes, there are things that God requires of us that, that wants, you know, the righteousness and all that stuff and obedience. But that only comes through our relationship with God. Right? He's not requiring that first to get connected with him. He requires relationship first, and obedience naturally follows. It becomes easier to do that. So this week, we're going to continue that because there's a second part to this Mark verse that says this. Again, the first part is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. It is now love God and love your neighbor. For the most part, we have two neighbors, right? Unless you're on a corner and you're like, I just got one. But I think we know that God is not truly saying just the people right next to you. Maybe the guy behind you that has the lemon tree that you get free lemons from. <laughs> Maybe. No, it's everyone. It's everyone that you come in contact with. It's people at your work, your family, your neighborhood, your, you know, the people that you, you, you go to, um, you know, your kids' ball games at. It's those people that you interact with all the time. And it can even be the people you see at the grocery store that might be challenging you or giving you a bad day. But those are your neighbors. It's everybody. And so it sounds like, oh, yeah, again, it's just an easy thing. But as we know in life, loving people can be one of the most hardest things you can do. And so to illustrate this, we talked about, or I mentioned last week, that we're going to talk about how Jesus met with a man named Nicodemus. And in this conversation that he has one-on-one -on -one with this guy, it gets laid out, everything that God wants and its purpose. And to be honest with you, when he has this conversation, it was a game changer. It changed. It was, it was not the normal thought of the day. So... That being said, let's get into that. So if you have your Bibles, open up to John 3, which will be today. 
So real quick, before we get into that, what has been happening is that Jesus is starting to do what we know Jesus to do. He's, he's, he, he did the, the miracle at the wedding. He turned water into wine. He, um, he, after that, he's just preaching and healing, preaching and healing, talking and healing, and his name is getting out. The stories are getting out. People are flocking to him. And again, from village to village, they're hearing about this man, Jesus, who is doing things that no other person has ever done. And then eventually during Passover, Jesus goes to the temple and sees that the church is ripping off people. Does that happen today? Mm-hmm. And Jesus sees that. And so he goes, he, he, he makes a whip, and he chases out the money changers. So basically what a money changer is, we talked about last week how the, the idea that you had to do things to be righteous, like you had to make yourself righteous. And one of the things that people would go into the temple to sacrifice so that they are now okay with God, they have an okay standing, there are people there that said, okay, you have to use our animals, can't bring my own animal, okay? Oh, not only, well, here, let me buy an animal. Well, no, see, you have to use our special money. And then they'd be like, well, okay. And the money was so, it's like, you know, $100 for one of the temple money. They were ripping people off. So you had to exchange your money to buy one of their animals to then have their priest sacrifice, and then now you are okay with God. And you can imagine, if you are a God that requires a relationship and you see that, you see so many barriers between God's people and God, you can imagine the emotion that Jesus had. All these people are putting up a front before they even get to God. And so Jesus chased them out and said, this, this isn't happening. And again, that story gets out. That story goes amongst the villages till finally it reaches a man named Nicodemus. And here we are, verse three, or chapter three, verse one. It says, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. All right, so we've heard that term Pharisee before, right? It's the bad guys of the Bible, right? <laughs> the truth is, they weren't. They're, they're, they're really not the bad guys. So Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and a Pharisee is someone who really devoted their lives to being righteous, right? So it was men who chose a way of life. Good or bad, they were striving every day to be righteous. So in a sense, like, yeah, they judged people, but they kind of earned the right to do so because they paid the price that no one else was willing to pay. So the Pharisees were actually some of the best people. Um, or at least they were trying, and of course, with anybody, you know, they get to their head. Um, 
And Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and he was also part of the Jewish ruling council. So it was almost as if like the best human, the best human that we can produce as a, as a human is now meeting with Jesus, right? The best that we can. He kind of represents that. So, yeah, because that, you know, with Matthew, when Jesus was talking to his talking to the disciples, he says, for I tell you that unless the, your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So when Jesus says that your righteousness has to be better than that of a Pharisee, that was indicating to them like, oh, that's never going to happen. Because everyone knew you can't be as good as a Pharisee. Or you can, it's just going to take a lot of work, and most people didn't want to put in that work. So that's why, again, so to be called a Pharisee was a badge of honor back then. It was not, you know, what what we think of it today, but it was a badge of honor back then. And again, Nicodemus represented the highest and best in men. And he honors Jesus by calling him rabbi. So Nicodemus has heard the stories. He knows that there is something special about this man, and he chooses to honor him and says, I know you're a teacher, and not only that, but I know you're sent by God because of the miracles you are doing. Now, listen, that's not necessarily true because there was, I mean, if we go back to Exodus and when the serpent and the, the, the sorcerers turn their, or their sticks into serpents, Stuff happens, right? But he chooses to believe that Jesus is someone from God. So he, there's, he, he's making that choice, right? And so he, yeah, so let's continue. Verse 3. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. You've heard that term before, right? That's not a new term. I mean, that, that just, you've born-again Christian, right? Chances are you would consider yourself a born-again Christian, or we want people born again. But what did Jesus mean by that? So again, Nicodemus recognizes him as someone sent by God and as a teacher, and Jesus' first res- response to him was, very truly, no one can come see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Right out the gate, Jesus is telling Nicodemus something he has never heard before. Born again. He's flipping um, the Jewish people back then, especially the Pharisees, they believed that they got salvation just by being born, just by who they were. Okay? They were, they were Jewish people. They thought that their, their salvation um, relied on just who they are. And Jesus is saying, like, no, that, that's changing. It's not that case. It's not the case anymore. You have to be born again. You can't just be born and automatically have salvation. All right? You're, you're not guaranteed it. Um, Jesus clearly says that, uh, that your moral and religion is just is not enough. See, Jesus didn't say unless you wash yourself. He says unless you are born again. Washing yourself means... I can do that. I can cleanse myself. I can wash myself. I can bring my own salvation. But Jesus says, no, you have to be born again because being born again, we can't born ourselves again. 
that has to be a spiritual act that is beyond us. And so that's what Jesus is saying. Born again means you're you're doing something you can't do on your own. You have to accept it. And of course, see, the thing is, you ever been in a conversation with somebody and you, 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 you you think they're smart, but then they just say something so crazy, right? That's crazy. So for Nicodemus to hear him, Jesus say, yeah, you just got to be born again. I'm kind of surprised Nicodemus is going to be like, all right, our time here is done. It's, it's time for me to go. Yeah, this Jesus guy is crazy. But he does ask in verse 4, says, how can someone be born, born when they are old? Nicodemus says, surely they cannot enter a second time in their mother's womb. Again, he's flipping his mind from everything he has known. Again, for Nicodemus, he said, look, we're, we fulfilled everything we needed to fulfill. The first thing was the gathering of Israel. That was God's promise, that there will be a people. We've done that. We have gathered Israel. We have our people. The second thing is that there will be a cleansing and spiritual transformation of God's people. The fact that there's Pharisees there says that, that there there are people dedicated to trying to, to cleanse the people and to bring, you know, to make God's people right. And this third thing was the reign of the Messiah, and they thought they had it all. And now Jesus is saying, no. It's not that way. You have to be born again. Born again. Well, again, what does that mean? So Jesus answered, verse 5. It says, Very truly, I tell you that no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from, of where it's going. So is with everyone born of the Spirit. All right, look. The whole, the, you got to be born of the water and the Spirit. I've looked this up. I've, I've read everything, what they said. There really is no definitive answer on what Jesus meant by that, Right? You could say, well, it means like you have to be baptized. The truth is that you, you, maybe not because Jesus is talking to, to Nicodemus, right? He's trying to use his language. He's trying to make him understand. And baptism wasn't like a widely known thing. It wasn't a thing that they did back then. It was like a, almost like a grassroots type of deal. So I don't think it was baptism. I truly think that it was, look, you're born as a person, right? Because we're born through water. We're like, I don't know what the percentage, how much of water are we? A lot, yeah, I don't know. We're born through water, which is, yeah, that's the first birth. But then there's a second birth, the born of the Spirit. And again, it's letting the Spirit of God cleanse you, not yourself. No act, no going to do things on your own. It's letting God do that. That's what needs to happen. So when they say water and spirit, that's what I think it is. And he talks about how the wind, he says, look, you don't need to know all about the wind to experience it. You don't need to know every detail about God's spirit. In fact, I think it's healthy for us not to know everything about God because he's God. And if our minds could comprehend everything about God, well, then what's that say about God? 
And so he says the same thing. You don't need to know everything. You don't need to know about the wind. It does whatever it wants. The same thing with the Spirit. You can still experience it without knowing it all, Nicodemus. Verse 9. Nicodemus again. Wait, how can this be? Nicodemus asked. Jesus says, you are Israel's teacher. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we, of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. All right, so now Jesus is speaking his language. He's saying, you know that Old Testament story? You know that story about the snakes, which is a wild story, where snakes started biting the people in the desert, and the people were dying, and, and, and they didn't know what to do. And so God told Moses, put, put this bronze snake on a staff and have people look at it, and that is how they will be okay. And so they are being bit by snakes. didn't matter. If they looked, it, I know it's, it's, it's bizarre, but if they look at the bronze snake, they will be fine. And Jesus says, that's going to be the same thing. The same way that, that, that the people did that today is going to be the same way when they see the Son of Man lifted up. And all you got to do is look. That is all your part. It's no more of telling yourself that you need to convince yourself to do all these things. Just look. That is all you need to do. Just look. And then Jesus says this really vague passage. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It is the most popular Bible verse in the world. And it was said in this meeting between two men. Like, I, I always think, like, did Nicodemus know what he was hearing in that moment? Right. right? Did he truly understand? But the thing is, it's another groundbreaking statement. If being born again messed with Nicodemus' idea of salvation, then this will mess with his scope of salvation. See, for Dick and Nehemus, God belonged to Israel. God belonged to Israel. That's their God. No one else's. And yet Jesus is saying, for God so loved the world. Everybody. He had never heard that before. That has never been a thought. That has never been uh, um, a way of, you know, when, when he would teach. It was always just God and Israel. And God and Jesus saying, that's changing too. It is now for everybody. Verse 17. For God did not send his son of the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That whoever believes in him is not condemned, 
But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And that's it. That's the conversation. Jesus shows the Father's heart is for rescue, hope, healing, and a relationship for all people. Man, what was it like after that meeting for Nicodemus to walk home Did he start writing things down? You know, I, I'm sure as he's walking home, he's, he's got a wife at the door because his wife probably knew like he's going to go talk to that Jesus guy. I want to know all about it. Did he have to take another lap around the block to, comp, to, to decompress, to, to understand, to know that everything he has been taught, everything he has been shown is now different? Or maybe in his mind, it's... No, it's not true. And maybe he had to just dwell on it and, and think about it. Did he fall asleep? Was it like this, like, wow, I just had this encounter with Jesus. I'm so restful now. Or did he stay up all night thinking, what have we been doing? Again, he knows that this guy's a great teacher. He knows that he's been sent from God. But one thing Nicodemus didn't do was recognize him as Messiah yet. All right, so the Bible will go on to tell us there's two more Nicodemus sightings. Second one is Nicodemus is doing his thing on the council, and he actually defends Jesus. Again, they're all looking to kill him. They're all looking to get rid of him, and he defends them. He says, no, think about it this way. The second time, or the third time, is after Jesus dies. And he takes Jesus' body and he prepares it for the tomb. See, like a lot of people, like even the disciples, they, they were told Jesus was going to be, that he was going to come back, but did they really believe it? They didn't believe it until actually he really came back. And so like Nicodemus, so like them, Nicodemus did the same thing. He, he bought all this money worth of spices and herbs just to preserve Jesus' body. He wanted to honor Jesus because he knew what happened to him was wrong. So him and a guy named Joseph of Arimathea took care of that while his disciples went back to being fishermen and doing other things. See, it got to the point where Jesus, or sorry, where Nicodemus didn't care that all his colleagues just sentenced this man to death. He didn't care. He's like, I'm taking care of this body. And I don't know. And there, those are just the three that we get from the Bible. There could have been more that he had with Jesus. I like to believe that he had more interactions with them because you have this first major conversation and every action after that just, it, he wouldn't have done that if he didn't have a relationship with Jesus. Right? He, he wouldn't have done that. 
And so he continued to have that relationship with Jesus as he worked out his own beliefs, his own thoughts. And then, we, yeah, we don't know what happens to Nicodemus after this. There's a lot of stories and ideas, but I do like to think that he continued to be a Pharisee for however long he did. Some say that he was eventually kicked off, which he probably was. But while he was a Pharisee and while he was still part of that Jewish ruling council, that he did those things through the lens of relationship. He did those things through the lens of what Jesus told him on that night, that we need to change things. We need to, to treat people differently. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Relationship, not religion. I told you guys last week, that is our church's mission statement. It's what we do as a church, what we feel that this building and the people here and the staff needs to, to do to minister to the city of Claremont, to the surrounding cities, Rancho, Upland, Ontario, um, that's what we feel our mission is to do, is to show relationship over religion. You must be born again, for God so loved the world. Relationship starts with those two things. But at the end of the day, Christianity, it's a religion, right? I mean, it's something you mark on a form that they ask. It is, but but, but what is religion, okay? What is the the religion of Christianity? Well, religion, if you define it by Sir Merriam-Webster, um, this is a personal set of institutionalized system of religious attitudes, beliefs, and practices. Another one is it's the service and worship of God or the supernatural, or it's commitment or devotion to religious faith and observance. So what is the Christian religion? How would we define that? Because I don't know if we would define it like that, right? Well, I want to read Mark again. It says this, love the God with all your heart, I'm sorry, love your God, the Lord is one, love the God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. That is the Christian religion. It's a Christ follower. If you call yourself a Christian, if you say that Christianity is my religion, well then... That's what, we need, that's what we need to show. John 13, 35 says, By that everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another, by how you love one another. 1 Corinthians says that if I speak in tongues of men, of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Basically, if I don't have love, I am useless. Amen. I am useless. How you treat each other is the best way to show who I am. It is the jerseys that we wear as Christians. If people don't see that in us first, then I'm sorry to say, then we have failed as a religion. If people don't see that we we love them, all people, so for God so loved the world, Uh 
then what are we doing? Are we just putting on a social club? <laughs> to love, that is Christian. And again, us Americans, we have so many different words for love, right? Or no, we have one word for love that encompasses so many things. Like, I love my wife. I love Godzilla. <laughs> now, those aren't equal. I mean, they're this, but it, it's, it's not the same. So we need to know when we say love people, what does that truly mean? And again, like everything, when, when, we, you know, when we talk to the youth upstairs, we talk because, you know, they're, they're teenagers or getting in that dating phase, and we say, that, remember, that love is not just an emotion. It's a choice. It's an action. There are, are you know, yeah, remember Valentine's Day, so you've got to show that action, probably monetary, flowers, I don't know. Um, so how can we live out the religion of relationship? Because that's what we need to do. We need to show that. How do we do that? Okay? First thing is this. Number one, don't battle people unless you're in a relationship. I know that sounds weird. Because <laughs> it's just like, well, if you're in a relationship, you shouldn't battle them. But the truth is, those are the only people you should be. Because like God, once we establish that relationship with God, right, obedience naturally follows. Same thing with people in relationship. If you're going to argue or if you're going to, like, get into the, you know, the stuff with people, because in every relationship, we know married, it happens, right? Even friends, stuff's going to happen eventually where you're going to have to talk it out. But it's only because you're in relationship that you're able to talk it out. Otherwise, you're just too, if you don't have that relationship in the middle, and then you're just, you're, you won't accomplish nothing but hurt feelings and more resentment, okay? So yeah, don't battle people unless you're in a relationship. Don't be a social media troll, right? Like, don't be on the internet saying, like, I'm going to tell you what's what. You're not in a relationship with them. It's not, it doesn't matter, but other than getting people more upset, it's pointless. What are you going to do? You're going to go to heaven and be like, look, Lord, I, look how many people I told about you. And God's going to say, well, how many people were you in a relationship with? So don't battle people that you're not in a relationship with. Number two, relationship takes practice and dedication. Oh, man, I love football. And today is a great day to watch football, obviously, <laughs> because you are, you are watching the best, the best people do what they're doing, right? Even if, even if you're on a horrible team, okay? I can't. Hey, I'm a Lions fan. They actually did great this year, so... They did okay. Um, I can't say they were the worst. But even if you're on the worst team, you're still the best at what you do, right? The NFL, like the NFL, they are the best football players ever, and you get to watch that happen. 
the best, uh, I hate to admit this, but the best player, Tom Brady, he truly is, like, he really is the best quarterback probably of all time. He's not the best just based off of talent alone, okay? That man puts in the work. You talk to all his teammates, you talk to his coaches, he's always the first one in the building, the last one to leave. Uh, Peyton Manning, another great quarterback, he famously says, look, you can probably outplay me, but you will never outprep me because he was constantly working at being the best. Same thing with Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, all those guys. Yes, they did have talent, but talent only gets you so far, you have to put in the work. The same thing with the relationship. It just doesn't happen. You have to put in the work. See, walking with Jesus is anything but lazy, right? He, when he called his disciples and when his disciples called more disciples and down the line all the here, it's not just, we're just going to sit and read the Bible. No, it's, it's work. It's connecting with people. It's building that relationship. Man. So it... On the last, the last family, first time meeting a family I ever had to do was when I met Jared, Jenny, my wife's hit family, her family. And again, I've, I've kind of been through this before, and um, this, one, but this one was different because this one I kind of cared about, obviously. And, and there's something about a meeting when you go in and you feel nervous and you're stiff and you're like, you're at dinner and you like, don't, for some reason, you like, you don't want to move, <laughs> right? You don't want to do any of that stuff. So I'm just, I'm nervous. I'm going into it and I'm, I'm going to their house and I'm walking up the door and, and, you know, I think I asked Jenny to, to come out and like, let's walk in together because that just makes me feel more comfortable. But I, I think I had to knock by myself and I walk in and, and from what I remember, I don't remember Jenny being there. So either she was in her room getting dressed or, or whatever, and, or maybe she was at work. I can't remember, but I don't remember her being there, and I remember me sitting there. And so, I, you know, I, I meet the mom, I meet Larry, and have a seat, and let's sit down. I'm like, okay, here we go. <laughs> there was no gun talk. There was no, this is how I want you to treat my daughter. This was, it was just, hey, tell me about yourself. Just wanting to get to know me. No other dad before, before him ever did that. Just tell me about yourself. It's that simple. Get to know them. Get to know in that relationship. And it worked out. We got married. And so <laughs> I guess on that first meeting, I didn't say anything crazy. <laughs> Anyways. So, yeah, so it takes work. It takes practice and it takes dedication for a relationship to happen as much. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's not. And, um, you know, it's funny, like, I, I look back at that, and I'm so grateful, and I know you're, you're in the audience, I'm so grateful that, that you're a talker, because I'm not, believe it or not, like, I'm in, I'm in you know, I, if it's two people that are not conversationalists, if it's me and someone who else is not a conversationalist, we're just going to look at each other awkwardly, 
And so if you know that about me, and I come to talk to you, just know that, like, if we don't start talking about something we know, we're going to start talking about the weather, and then we're just going to stare at each other's eyes until <laughs> we walk away. I don't know. Just natural conversation, doesn't, it doesn't come natural to me. Um, anyways, but so, yeah, so grateful for that. All right. And the third and last thing is that true relationship has to come with empathy. Empathy. You know, we talked about last week about how we, we could be put in those situations where we can experience a tra- travesty or have a dark night of the soul, and that people will come up to us and be like, you know, that's all part of God's plan. Or, oh, you know, the Lord works in mysterious ways. And like, again, you want to punch those people. I mean, let's be real. You do. Or slap. Or scratch. I don't know. (laughs) You're just not in the headspace to deal with those types of people. Right? It's because they don't have empathy. Right? I mean, maybe they say they do, but the most empathetic thing you can do, again, is just sit with them. I'm sorry you're going through that. I can't imagine what that feels. It's, it's, it's sad because it's weird because, you know, you obviously, you have to recognize mourning for mourning, right? They're, they're mourning. They're in, a, they're in a state of, they're in a, you know, whatever's going on. It doesn't have to be mourning, but there, there's something going on. And you just have to recognize that they're going through a hard time because that's what you really want to hear is someone just to be like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you're going through that. Don't tell me what I need to do in this moment to get out or to do that, but just just recognize what I'm going through. See me right now, who I am with what I'm doing. That's empathy. And we need to do that. That's with relationship. Again, the, your, your closest people probably won't be that person that says, well, you know, it's all part of God's plan. Or the closest people are like, well, I, I done told you. Um, again, it's only when you truly understand someone's background, history, that we can truly effectively pray with somebody, right? It's like when you really get to know them, now you know them. You could be an effective person in their life. We, it's, we effectively pray, effectively respond with relationship and with empathy. We have to have empathy first because Jesus had it first, right? When Jesus sees this whole world gets devoured by sin, he says, I'm going to the cross. He had empathy for us because we could never do it on our own. He had empathy for us first. And now Jesus is telling us we need to have empathy for people. Man, I'm telling you, I, I, I'm, so, I, I, I'm so big on this word. And I, I'm one to not naturally have empathy for people, but I strive to have it because I do feel that's what's missing right now in the world and in our culture and this online culture is just empathy for people. Now, here's one thing about empathy that might be a shock to you. You can be empathetic to somebody and not give up your morals and your values. You can see where someone is coming through and what they are going through and feel sorry for them and try to help them and try to be there for them. 
without having to agree with their lifestyle. You can do that. Jesus did that. Man, that, that is another thing. Another jersey we have to wear as Christians. We have to be empathetic because otherwise we're just someone pointing a finger. And if we're someone pointing a finger, well, they'll never get that close. They'll always be standoffish. All right. So let me ask you, how many people are excited for the actual football game or excited for the commercials? Right? That's something we always hear, like, oh, I'm excited for the game. I'm excited for the commercials. Yes, the commercials are wonderful. Let me tell you something about what's going on that's going to happen today. So today, you got everybody watching this amazing football game, or hopefully it's amazing. You also got people that are watching this for the commercials. So you've got, like, which never happens, right, other than today, commercials in the game. Well, there's this, um, there's this thing going on. It's been, it's been going on for a while, but there's this, there's this ad campaign called He Gets Us. Okay? He Gets Us. And it's about these videos. And I'm, we're going to show one here. But it's, but it's this, this ad campaign that there are people, like hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that are giving to the idea to show that Jesus has empathy for you. That he gets you that he understands you, that he wants a relationship with you because of who you are, a son, daughter of God. And so today, there's going to be two of those commercials on the biggest stage where people watch as a game that are going to know and get to see that Jesus has empathy for them. All right, so let's, let's, let's check one out. I responded to the call. I didn't know if he was guilty or not. I couldn't ignore public opinion. I got caught up in the emotion of the trial. I could have testified, but I got scared. I'm expected to be tough on crime. I know my son was innocent. I will never forget his final words. Forgive them. I think of Christianity, I think of that. That's what's beautiful about our religion. It's, it's, it's relationship and understanding. And look, I know there's a place in the Bible, and I know there's a call to, for, for righteousness, and there's a call for obedience, and I'm not saying that that stuff, we shouldn't be doing that. I'm just saying it has to start with relationship and with empathy. It has to start there. And then that stuff follows. And God is okay with that. Believe it or not, God is okay with that. Start with relationship first. Then obedience. That's what Christian is. Relationship first. That's what's beautiful. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you, Lord that you are a God that loves us, 
that loves us, that you're not a God that, that, is, that wants to condemn us or, or wants to torture us or wants to just mess with us, but no, you are a God that loves us. Father, let us never forget that. Let us never forget that, yes, we know that God loves us, which means that God loves everybody, everybody. I thank you, Lord, that you are a long-suffering God. I thank you, Lord, that you are for your mercy and for your grace in every shortcoming and every failure that we experience, Lord. But I thank you for your strength for us to keep going, to trying to be better than the day we were of the day before. So, Father, be with everyone this week. Be with everyone today, Lord, as they celebrate, as they're in relationship, as they're eating nachos or whatever. Father, be in that time and be in this week. And, Father, let everyone know today or this week that they are dearly loved. In your name, amen.
So because God in heaven desires a relationship with you, we get to do this. Because God has empathy for you, he gave up his body as a willingness to connect with God. So now take this in remembrance of him or what he did, giving up that body and having that empathy. And then he gave up his blood so that we can be born again. So that we, he did something so that we don't have to do the impossible to be righteous. But yet, he gave up his blood so that we can stand righteous before God. So take this, and knowing that fact, that we can do it because he did it first for us. So our church's mission statement, relationship, not religion. Why is that important? Why do we, as a church, want to look and to point to the relationship with God and to the empathy of God first? Because church, I don't know if you've known this, I feel like we're running out of time. Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back soon. Now, soon's relative. I'm not saying... I'm saying, could be today, could be tomorrow, could be years from now, but we are running out of time. And so get that first, relationship over religion. All right, guys, have a great week. Have a great Super Bowl, and uh, go Lions.